0: welcome to lesson number 28 on the book of Revelation the final lesson on this chapter 22 welcome also to those joining us hopefully some live on Facebook and those who will join us later on YouTube and via podcast and all those different things and so I want to say welcome to you and Thank you for joining us. Chapter 22. It's a very interesting chapter. I'm going to read the whole thing uh, from beginning to end. And uh, if you're here in person, you have those questions. Chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God, and of the lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor sun, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, that the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. By the way, that's reference all the way back to chapter one, those things which are and which are to come. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I saw John, now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. Wow, we said Genesis goes all the way back to Revelation. There you go, the tree of life. And may enter through the gates into the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say come, and let him who hears say come, and let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all amen the way we started this was talking about that it is about a fresh or a new or a greater revelation of jesus so hopefully we've all gained that in our in our study well, what a fitting way to end not only this great book of prophecy but also to end the bible with a description of the glory of heaven that is prepared for us. Uh, John 14 tells us that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm excited about that. Uh, We were talking before church began that sometimes we get jealous of those who have gone on before and think about them being in heaven. So I'm excited about heaven. And I quote that scripture where Jesus talks about going to prepare a place for us many times in funerals, but I want you to know that if you don't go by way of the grave, you're still going to go to that place. Amen? Uh, If you're right with the Lord. And so uh, scripture tells us that we'll meet Christ in the air and uh, be with him forever. What a glorious homecoming. Amen. An anticipation that we have. And I'm starting to get so many on the other side that it's just gonna be a natural just to just slip right on over uh, into that. But I'm believing the Lord's coming soon. Not only does this chapter talk about heaven. But Jesus is giving a final invitation to come to him. The whole Bible is an invitation for those who don't know God to come to to him. And how fitting that the very last book and the very last chapter, that there are actually more than one invitation to come to the Lord. And so it just speaks of God's mercy and his grace and his focus, his goal, if you will, that the Lord uh, would not let any should perish, but that all would come to uh, repentance and to uh, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So uh, we see that happening. So this scripture ends with amen, but we have not experienced that amen yet. We've not experienced that other side yet, but it is a reality, a place that uh, we will experience, so we look in anticipation for that, and that kind of reminds me of Acts chapter uh, 28. If you look at Acts 28, it does not end in Amen, which many books of the Bible do. And I believe that is because we still have work to do, and we are the church of Acts 29. I've actually preached a sermon before about Acts 29. So I got up and I said, everybody turn to Acts chapter 29. And it was like, I don't see it. That's because we're living it, right? We are the church of Acts 29, so we're here to continue the work of Christ until the Lord returns. uh, However soon or far away that is at the very beginning of studying this book, we talked about how everything flows from Genesis forward to Revelation. And that you can see the comparisons and and contrast throughout the Bible. If you look at the first two chapters of Genesis, you see the creation and all that God prepared for Adam and Eve. I mean, how magnificent that the Bible talks about the Garden of Eden was. And I believe it was amazing. I believe that it was beautiful. But then sin entered in and that world began to change. How many knows that sin creates negative change, right? And so we see that begin to happen. Uh, And God started by speaking light and he prepared the garden with all the good things that we would need when you compare those first two chapters of of uh, genesis to the last two chapters in revelation what you see is that god restores everything as a matter of fact i would say that this new heaven and new earth might even be better than the first one i don't know that for sure but i looking forward to seeing that place and we talked about that a lot last week you know the world's just messed up because of sin we see it all the time we see, um, you know, even the scientists are telling us that the world is having issues, that, that, you know, that it's fighting against us. Well, that's the curse, right, that we experienced in Genesis chapter 2 uh, is, the, is the description, I think, maybe 3. Anyway, so that's the curse of sin. All right, let's look at verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So when you look at this, remember the book of Revelation sometimes flips back and forth from an earthly scene to a heavenly scene. We're definitely in a heavenly scene here. This is a description of heaven. So this is a heavenly scene and there's a new heaven uh, this is after the great white throne judgment that we talked a little bit about last week. And in this, we see a river. Genesis starts with a river, right? talks about four different rivers, and I'm not going to go through all those. Uh, but this new heaven has a river that runs through it. And so there's always a theme throughout the Bible. When any, Anytime you see a river, many times it speaks about the blessings of God. So water is a blessing. We talk in Psalm chapter 1, for example, the tree that is uh, on the banks of the river, right? That gets its nourishment and it produces fruit because of that. God supplying and God being uh, what is needed. So we see that there is a river in heaven. And I believe it is a real river, but nothing like what we've seen. Uh, So it's a river. It could be symbolic in speaking of the river, because it's got pure water, which speaks of eternal life. Uh, So you have this, and it corresponds to John chapter 7, where Jesus talks about this river of life that flows. He says, uh, when he's at the feast, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and I will give him uh, this river of life that will gush forth out of him. That's the same water that he talked to uh, the woman at the well about. But There's always this theme throughout the Bible of a river. And here in Ezekiel, there is also It speaks about a river that comes from the throne of God because that's the source of life, is God. And so here is this river in heaven. Verse 2 talks about a tree of life. And I think this is the exact same tree that was in the Garden of Eden. I believe that it is. Um, I believe maybe God transplanted it from earth to heaven. I'm not sure. There is this river of life in this tree of life. Uh, and that tree is mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. So in, in Genesis chapter 3, God is having a conversation with himself. Uh, there's an old joke that says, if you want to have an intelligent conversation, you know, you have a conversation with yourself or talk to yourself. Uh, but God is having a conversation between the Trinity and and he says man has already tasted of the tree of knowledge of good and evil so we must make sure that he does not partake of the tree of life or he'll live forever in this state of sin. That last part I had again. But that's what it's speaking of. God did not want man to continually live in a knowledge of good and evil and live in a state of sin. So this tree of life. Maybe God picked it up and said they can't have it on earth, so I'm going to take it to heaven. I'm not sure. But there's a tree of life in heaven. And this tree is interesting. You could look at this different ways. It could be that John is speaking of tree in the plural. In other words, there are many, multiple trees. Or it could be a singular tree that spans the river of life and is on both sides of the river. So either way, it doesn't matter, uh, but we know that that tree produces fruit. And uh, so it's very interesting. uh, The description of of the tree is that it has 12 kinds of fruit, one for each month. So if you get tired of eating the same thing, you get to change uh, something different to eat. By the way, do you think we'll eat in heaven? you think it will have to eat in heaven? Probably not. Probably not, right? I hope Probably we get to it, though. It kind of looks like we might have a choice. I believe it will be kind of like what Jesus was, his resurrected body. You know, he came to the disciples. He comes through the wall, essentially, uh, without putting a hole through the wall. And they're talking with him. And I think they're struggling with believing that we're, we're seeing a ghost here. And Jesus eats fish with them so he didn't doesn't say that he had to but I believe that's one of those um, blessings is uh, to be able to eat I mean body will fully process it. yes it'll you know, just bless us and it won't be bad for us and you won't gain weight from it and get high cholesterol from it and all that good stuff right so I believe our resurrected bodies will be able to eat But that we won't have to eat but it'll be just one of those joys and isn't it good it seems like especially uh, if you're baptist or pentecostal i know that we eat every time we want to do something we fellowship right and that's what we mean when we say we're going to fellowship that means we're going to eat right bring a dish and uh, let's eat so this tree has leaves on it and says it's for the healing of the nations But the Bible tells us there's not going to be any sickness. So why do we need leaves that are for the healing of the nations? When you look at the original language, it's for health, just for, like, state of being. Not just, not like you've been sick and you need, but it's just kind of like an overall health of how we are, you know, our our resurrected bodies and our our spirits, so. So imagine eating and the There's no tears. There's no sadness. Yeah. There's no the sickness. The Lord knows why we need the tree of life right. and why we need the 12 different fruits and, and all of that, right? right? So verse 3 tells us there's no more curse. We talked about, I think last week, maybe it was the week before, the millennial time. And the millennial time was a time when the curse was lifted. But you still have some effects of the curse that are still there. In other words, people do still die. We see that in the millennial, the Bible talks about if someone is this age and they die, they'll be considered a child. So it is possible for people to die in the millennial. It is a time when the curse is kind of lifted, but it's but there are obviously some things that can still happen during that time frame. So But in the new heaven and the new earth, there's no more curse, sin, or death at all. Verse 4, I like this, tells us that we shall see Jesus face to face. That's really interesting because when we look at the Bible, Moses, probably the greatest prophet in the whole Bible, especially in the Old Testament, God wouldn't allow him to do that. He could see the shadow of him as he passed by in the cleft of the rock, but he was not able to see God face to face. So imagine being able to see Jesus, to see God in in his person in, in Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who forgave you of your sins, made all of this possible for you. And there is nothing to impede you from seeing him in all of his fullness and all of his glory. That's really powerful when we begin to, to think about that. We have immediate access to the glory of God. Uh, to be able to see uh, uh, his face. To experience him in his fullness means that we'll experience his peace, his power. There's not going to be any hindrance to being in His presence and that the reign of christ doesn't ever end and the millennial it ends for just a little bit right whenever uh it doesn't end. god's always in charge but there is a release of satan to come back for a short time and so uh, but in heaven that never happens right so the lord is always in charge uh in the new heaven and the new earth heaven is a perfect and everything that happens in heaven is perfect. So when you look at verse three and four together, and this is question number two, by the way, there are so many things there that are perfect. Uh, It's a perfect place. So there's no curse, which means there's perfect restoration. So everything that God started and planned to do is going to be restored. So there's perfect restoration, yes. perfect restoration of this relationship between man and God. What are you? What were you asking, Carol? Does that mean he created this earth? Does that mean he's going to restore it? We have a new heaven and a new earth. It's brand new. It's going to be. That's that's the restoration process of His plan. I'm not saying he's taking the old earth and reconstituting it. And, uh, how many of y'all take, uh, <laughs> how many of you take leftover macaroni and cheese that you put in the refrigerator and stick it in a microwave and add a little bit of milk and salt and butter to it to, to make it kind of like it what it used to be, right? That's not what God is doing with the new heaven and new earth. It is new, right, in all of its perfection. So it's been, his plan has been totally restored, and the relationship between God and man is brand new. It is like nothing had ever happened. I don't know how to say that other than that. Of course, you know, it was, it was mankind that caused the break of the relationship. So God restores that. And you, as you see, and we talked about this earlier, throughout the Bible, it is God who is pursuing us. And so uh, that is perfect restoration. But what you also see is the throne. Well, what does the throne represent? Who sits on the throne? The majesty, but ruling and reigning and in charge and in control and the king. The king, right? Uh, so the throne is all about that. So. It is his perfect administration nothing else is competing with God Satan has been dealt with those who are uh, who have resisted God and God's plan they have been dealt with and there is a perfect administration in heaven Wow wouldn't it be nice to see that on earth (laughs) Um, so there's perfect administration Jesus is in charge and it tells us here that we are his servants now we also know that we're his children so when it says that we are his servants it's not like god is beating us to get us to obey him and to serve him but this is a love service because we love god we are serving him Uh, So when you look at that, that is perfect subordination. There is a peace about being subordinate to God. It really is. I'm going to work for the Lord, and whatever he allows, he allows, and whatever he says no to, he says no to, and there's a perfect subordination. I'm in submission to God, and what he does with me, he does with me. So there's perfect subordination there. Perfect transformation, we're changed in His glory. That's what the Bible tells us. So let me catch it up. Perfect restoration, perfect administration, perfect transformation. And subordination. And subordination. Uh, Then there's a few more. we got at least two more. We are transformed by being in His glory, that's perfect transformation. Perfect subordination is that we are his servants. Perfect identification. What does this tell us God does? He puts his name in our forehead. Right? So we are perfectly identified. We are God's. And he's ours. We're with him. So we are, there's perfect identification here. Uh, and then there's no need for light because God is the light. So that's perfect illumination. This is all characteristics of heaven and, the, and, and us being there. We're perfectly restored. There's a perfect administration in heaven, perfect transformation, perfect subordination, perfect identification, perfect illumination. All of those things. What am I saying? Heaven's totally perfect. There is nothing lacking. And we won't be messing it up. And we won't be messing it up. That's right. Because uh, he has made us. Skip on down to about verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I find it very ironic that it is this book that is probably the most neglected Of all the books in the Bible either because people are afraid to read it fear they won't understand it or whatever reason it might be Uh, so it's ironic that it seems to get neglected but yet it is the book that we've been talking about that has a special blessing in it Uh, and people fail to read it don't hear it and honestly I don't preach that much from it either but Good news is, this Sunday I am preaching from this book. In this very chapter. Let me ask you a question. This says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus ascended to heaven. So, how is that quickly? And is that what this means? Like His timing? Our timing? Different? Um, well, I think it means when it starts it'll be rapid too. Also it has to do what I think most of all it has to do is we read it incorrectly because when you go back to the original language it's not really the word quickly like we would interpret in the English language it is the word rapidly or suddenly and that's definitely Different than what the King James or many of the other versions of the Bible say. They interpreted it to be quickly. Rapidly is like is it Corinthians or I forget where it is, talks about the festal, about it being in the blink of an eye, not a blink but a twinkling of an eye. And that is a similar word because that is as if something has been jerked or grabbed and it's a sudden movement. So those two words are similar not the same so maybe this was misinterpreted the word doesn't mean quickly like what we think it means rapidly which is different because quickly means soon and maybe tomorrow rapidly means it can happen at any time but when it happens it's gonna be fast and I'm not saying that those who interpret it in the Bible are wrong, but I am saying that when you look at the original language, it gives you a new look at what, what does this really mean. Because I I definitely will tell you that, and there is something to his, you know, thousand days is a day and all of that, but it will happen quickly whenever the Lord comes. The Bible tells us, you know, there's going to be two in the field and then suddenly one and there's going to be you know, all these things that happen. So it will be a rapid thing that happens and it will be a sudden kind of thing that happens. Verse 11. This is a difficult scripture. I think I understand it. Let me just say that. Verse 11 says, He who is unjust let him be unjust still. See, I think verse 11 ties with verse 7. He who is filthy, let him stay filthy. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So what is this saying? There ain't no second chance. Whatever you are at the end, you are at the end. I believe you're right. Whatever you are at the end, you are at the beginning.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So whatever God does in his coming, because that's what verse 7 is about, he's coming rapidly he's coming suddenly there'll be no chance for a last second repentance and making things right with God so if you're already unjust and unrighteous and unholy then you're going to stay that way if you are righteous and holy and all those things then you'll continue to be that way and I believe that's the only way you can really Look at this, because why would the Bible tell you to stay unholy? That's contrary to the whole theme of the Bible. It's because God wants us to become a holy people and, and a part of what he's doing, right? And at this point, they've been hit with boils and plagues, and, I mean, you know, sure. he really wanted, he gave you every chance and at this point. Right, right. And instead, instead of repenting, they continued on, right? Right. So at this point... Uh, that's a good point. They, they, if they've continued in that, they're it's not, not going to get another chance at the break. They're not going go okay now. Yeah. If you don't accept the scriptures and this warning, which is what Revelation is, uh, if it's not been sufficient for you to this point, then God's already done everything he's going to do. right? Because he's already new heaven, new earth, everything's been settled. Uh, and that's not going to be, going to be changed. So, you can get every opportunity and possibility to repent. And if you haven't, you're going to remain like that. Another way to say this is that you cannot be neutral in your decision about what to do with Christ. You can't wait to the end and then say, I'm on the Lord's side. It's too late, right? It's kind of like, you know, watching the ball game and waiting to the end and you know who won and saying, I'm rooting for that team. So, it's going to be a change and it's going to be sudden and there's no second chance. Verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now let me tell you what this is not saying. It is not saying that you're saved by your work. We know that. What it is saying is that because you have been saved, that's a reason for us to do work for the kingdom of God. And God rewards that. He does. God is a. How many remember Brother McKinley's favorite verse? We must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek Him. So God is a rewarder. The Bible backs that up. He is a rewarder uh, of those who diligently seek him. And if we're seeking after God, then we're working for the kingdom of God and we're growing in our relationship. So he comes to reward us. I believe that we'll recognize that we don't deserve any reward. I believe we'll recognize that just like those crowns that will be cast at the Lord's feet, We'll understand that. But he comes uh, here. He's coming quickly. And his reward is with him. To give to everyone according to his work. So we have. A reward from the Lord. We'll get that. God is faithful. And he's just. Right? Uh, To reward us for the work that we have done. I'm reminded of a. Parable in the Bible. How many remember the parable of the workers in the vineyard? Those who came at the beginning of the day were paid a certain amount. Those who came at noontime, what were they paid? Same, same amount. amount. Those who came with just one hour left to work, same amount, right? We all for sure will have that reward heaven being our home, right? Uh, if we know Christ is our Savior. So, so that we know we have at least that reward. In verse 13 I am Alpha and Omega. It takes us again back to chapter 1. Uh, so what does that mean for us? It means that if he's our Alpha and our Omega, he's our Beginning and our end. He's the, another way to say it, the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's got it all under control. What God has planned will come forth. Philippians 1 6, he who has begun a good work in you doesn't say might perform it, but will perform it until the day of Christ, right? So God's he has the final say he has the first say and the final say right what happens with us so he's our alpha and our omega by the way if you don't know those are the greek first and last letters of the greek alphabet verse 15 for without our dogs and i feel sorry for you dog lovers no dogs in heaven is that what that means no no dogs in heaven. This is uh, not a literal dog, but what that word means in the original is men of low character. So there's going to be no one of low or no people of low character in heaven. No, none who are sorcerers or immoral or murderers or idolaters or those who practice lies. Wow, that seems pretty strict, doesn't it? No liars. And that, that, that seems strict, but why is that important? don't want lies here. Yeah, we want a better one. Yeah. And the Bible tells us that who is the father of lies. Yep, yep. Right? So um, Satan is the father of lies. There will be nothing like him in heaven. So there won't be any liars or those who practice. Now notice it says uh, those in practice lies anybody ever lied before you should all be raising hands you've probably done it sometimes accidentally i have accidentally lied before i've said I'm, I'm going to do x y and z which the bible warns us about and i couldn't something happened and i couldn't make it i couldn't get it done i was wasn't able to perform what i said So, but that's not what this is talking about. Should we probably repent of any kind of lie like that? Obviously, but this is those who practice lying. In other words, deceit in order to gain from something. So let me say one other thing. People really in the world struggle with verses like this. Why? Because it tells you exactly who will not make it to heaven. Characteristics that will not make it to heaven. But it's true. And people don't like it because they don't like to be convicted of their sin. And I'm not saying that in that we're perfect, we know we're not. There is a difference in, just like I said, practicing lying, operating in the practice of lying, versus the practice of sin. There's a, there's a difference. We can sin but not be habitual, active in the practice of sin and saying, I'm gonna sin on purpose for this reason and for this call. So there's a difference. But those characteristics, when we are saved, will be changed. That we're gonna to be totally changed. Verse 17. This is the final imitation of the Lord but it's more than just an invitation of the Lord and I don't want to go too deep into this because I'll preaching on this Sunday i just, just tell you what does it say to you the spirit and the bride say come we understand the spirit saying come because we understand that it is the Holy Spirit that draws us when none of us would ever be saved it is the Holy Spirit that Invites us into, if you will, the kingdom of God that draws us, that beckons us, that convicts and convinces us. But if I'm reading this correctly, and I think I am, it has two meanings to the spirit and the bride say, Come. Who's the bride? We are the bride. We're the church, right? So we are the church, we are the bride, and the Spirit says, "Come," because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Bible tells us that. How did Jesus recruit his disciples? What did he say? They "Come follow me." Come follow me, right? Said, "I'll make you fishers of men." So there's Jesus. It was an invitation. He didn't go get them. And twist their arm behind their back. Grab their ear. He invited them to come to be a part of the kingdom. And so the Holy Spirit's like Jesus. And that it invites us. It convinces us and convinces us to come to the Lord. But saying come is not just a work of the Holy Spirit. It is also our job. It's our job, we're not the Holy Spirit, but it is our job to invite and welcome people and pray for people and ask people to come uh, and be a part of what God is doing. That's what I believe this is saying, but also, I believe this is also a prayer for the church. I don't want to go too far into this. Are we able to pray, come, Lord, quickly? Most of the stop people lost and they plan to think about it if they don't. <laughs> but is that right? I don't know, but I know one thing. We love our people. We do. We do. We do love our people. We do love, but if we're able to pray this, what does it do inside of us? Yes, but it also convicts us that we better be on the job because if the Lord answers our prayer and he comes back quickly, then that's the same as us saying, I'm working for it, Lord. Not working for salvation, but working to win and to invite others to come and to be a part of what God's doing. I'm challenging us, can we pray this prayer? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's a challenge, I find that, when I read that, and I looked at that, and I said, wow, can I pray that? I can pray because I know I'm ready, but how does that challenge me to live, to be able to pray this? So we are working with the Lord, inviting, and I don't just mean invite the church, that's not what this is talking about. Although inviting the church is a wonderful thing, and we should do that, but this is an invitation that's about coming into the kingdom of God, right? So it's, it's a little bit different. A, a personal relationship of Jesus. Verse 18 and 19, how many knew that this was in here already? And I tell you, this is the reason why I many, many, many times preface when I'm teaching in Revelation and say this is what I think, this is what commentaries think, this is what I believe, but not necessarily this is, you know, some uncertainth- some things. Now, many things in the book of Revelation are backed up by other scriptures and we can be pretty confident in what we say, but we don't want to add to or take away. Uh, from the word of the Lord. Because we don't want that curse on us, right? The curses of this book. Sometimes people take that too far. And they will try to study or learn anything because they're afraid they might add to or take away. It is, this is a warning for those who are false teachers and preachers on purpose in order to gain something from it. It's not saying if you mess up, if you teach something a little bit wrong, God, God knows our heart, right? He knows that we are able to, to be fallible. But this is an on-purpose, don't purposefully mislead or misinterpret in order to have of astray. That's really what this is talking about. And that we must be careful how we handle the Bible. I don't know if you know it or not. Some those are close to me know it. Before I preach, I've got a minimum of eight to twelve hours worth of study and writing and rewriting in a sermon. Sometimes in Revelation it feels like it's that, about that much too, because you really have to study. Because uh, I don't want to purposefully mislead anybody and be guilty of this. I don't want to purposefully or uh, accidentally mislead someone either. So uh, but I am fallible. I'm human. So, how do we end this study on the book of Revelation? (laughs) Woohoo! He's coming, yes, praise the Lord. A couple of things. There is a reason why the Bible does not call this the mystery, it calls it Revelation. So, hopefully, you've been encouraged to think that I have and can learn from this book, and I've learned something about Jesus and his character and his nature and who he is. because I thing that's, you know, vital for the way we've studied this. It doesn't mean that we won't have questions. I still uh, don't know that I fully understand the timeline in Revelation. because at times when you go read it, you think, okay, I get this. This is happening and then that. Then you go back and read it and you go, well, maybe that was this way, this was that way doesn't mean we'll have it perfect, but that we can learn and grow, and that we can, uh, especially with the, the, the thing about the book is to learn a greater revelation of Jesus. So my prayer for us is that we'll gain a greater revelation of Jesus of the great things he has in store for his people. And I know many people avoid the book of Revelation because it speaks so much of God's judgment. But if you read chapter 18, 19, 20, those, you're also going to see the great things about heaven. So hopefully, there's been some balance here. Yes, there's going to be great judgment upon the world. We're not going to have God's judgment cast upon us. Uh, Not that particular judgment. And so we can know and be assured that heaven is our home. So, Okay, I almost gave it away, so I said, yeah. So, how would I wrap up the book of Revelation? God wins and we win. Yes, exactly. So, it gives us a sneak peek of the end times, and Jesus wins, and because he wins, we win. You don't give anything else out of the book of Revelation? If I was preaching, I'd say, look at your name, and say, we win, Right? Uh, Jesus wins and we win. Uh, so that's the, the, the great thing about the book of Revelation. What are the leaves of the tree of life for? Healing of, Healing of the nations. Describe the perfection of heaven. So just fill in the blank. Perfect restoration, perfect administration, perfect transformation, perfect subordination. Perfect identification, perfect illumination—all those describe the perfection of heaven. Question three: According to verse twelve, Jesus is bringing a what with him for us? A reward and a horse. (laughs) That's what Kate said. That's what Kate said. A horse. Um, She loves horses. You ready to ride one with the with the with the saints? Question four. What does the word dog mean? People men of low character. People men of low character. That's correct. Who says come? Spirit and the bride. Right? Question number six. According to verses 18 and 19, we are not to add or take away from the book of this prophecy. And then we are answered number seven. In the end, Jesus wins, and we. Win.